that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, Now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Trap Draw Podcast. TC here. Randy is on assignment this week. Uh, I am back stateside from uh, Scotland and then back on the East Coast after Bandon. And then went to Boston on Monday. DFW yesterday, American Airlines. I got to give them a shout out. They uh, got me home in one piece ahead of schedule. Uh, We were like 10 minutes early last night. My luggage was with me. Uh, It was a smooth flight. So, Praise progress there. But yeah, uh, we got a good episode today. We've got Freddie home. It's home from school sick uh, today, but was able to squeeze one out with Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Uh, been looking forward to this one for a while. Been trying to make it happen. He's actually down in Miami getting ready to cover the uh, F1 event down there, the race, uh, the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, he's never been to a Formula One race before. So uh, talked to him a little bit about that. Talked to him kind of a recap of the NFL draft. Uh, just more macro NFL kind of buy sell stuff. And then a little NIL talk at the end, uh, on his beloved, the U. So, uh, before we get there, uh, want to give a little bit of a shout out to Roback. Uh, they've been awesome partner last, I don't know, last few months, just kind of ramping up with us. And the more we buy from them, the more I love it. It's so, so comfortable. The hoodies are incredible. Uh, we did that run of hoodies with them last year, looking to do, quite a few more for uh the holiday season this year uh but in the meantime the um the hoodies are great but the the pullovers wonderful solly wears those uh he's been wearing them pretty much nonstop. uh he was wearing a green and white one yesterday when we were in fort worth uh and then the polos are the print polos i think they just came out with the space collection i'm actually uh poking around on their site right now uh they got some cool space prints but um but yeah the prints are just so detailed and there's not a whole lot of bleed out like they're just super crisp so uh stuff that i'm not quite sure even how they do that it's like amazing quality and just the comfort's crazy so uh again roback r-h-o-b-a-c-k and uh, log on there uh add some stuff to your cart get it uh trap all caps t-r-a-p for 20 percent off your first order with them and uh again uh, you can't go wrong with anything on their site, but those, those hoodies are their butter. Like I'm on my way to having about five or six of them in my closet. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to Kevin Clark and, uh, yeah, I'll be back next week with Randy. Uh, we'll be chopping it up kind of post NFL draft and just some housekeeping stuff kind of back on a regular cadence now that we're, now that we're back at home. So cheers. All right. Joined now by the aforementioned Kevin Clark, Kevin, where, where do we find you today? I am at a random courtyard hotel in South Florida. I'm getting ready for the Miami Grand Prix. I'm going to go get my credential after this. Uh, it's my first F1 race after loving the sport for for five years. I've seen F1 cars race around. They came to Hollywood a couple of years ago um, to do an exhibition, but I've never been to an actual race. So I'm about two hours from seeing cars go around a track, and uh, and I, I couldn't be more excited. But that. That is a pales in comparison to making my trap draw debut. This is so exciting. <laughs> I love this podcast so much. I love everything No Laying Up does. I'm really excited about this. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. I know uh, 
Uh, Randy's out in Denver this week. He was supposed to be in Philly this week, had to, had to move some things around. And then, uh, but I've been dying to get you on to talk NFL draft and we'll get there. Um, I guess F1, uh, you, you never been to the, to the Texas race. Uh, you yeah. said you got into F1 about five years ago. So pre the whole, mm-hmm. uh, drive to survive. Boom. Yep. What, what got you into F1? So this is, I, I promised you, I'm not going to tell the whole story uh, because it's, it's extremely long, but I got hit by, my wife and I got hit by a car uh, while we were walking down the street. Uh, I know that's a very weird way to, to start <laughs> this out in, uh, in 2017. And uh, uh, we were like it, that, that whole thing, like it actually it looked, if you were to look at it, you'd be like, man, they got pretty screwed up, but really we actually got out pretty lucky, but we were, it was one of those injuries where you just couldn't do anything for like, Two, three weeks like we were just sitting at okay. home and we weren't like dying we just like were just bruised up right and uh and so i would wake up if you ever had something like that like I, you have nothing to do my work was like you're not working at all until like you know two months from now calm down and so i was waking up at like four in the morning i had nothing to do and one day i looked and, and I, I i saw uh f1 at like you know five in the morning six in the morning whatever it was so some free practice was going on and i was looking for sports because it was the dead of summer and I'm certainly not going to watch baseball. Um, nothing else was going on. And so I was like, I don't know, let's check this out. And so I, it just built on itself and I was watching the practice and I watched qualifying the next day and I watched the race on Sunday and I just, I loved it. And, and you know, I, I love competition in any form. And I love the idea that formula one is pure competition where it is some of the smartest people in the world, it is, um, you know, if you make a, one little mistake, not only are you screwed for a year, you might be screwed for a decade because of the regulations. Like, that's what's amazing. And I, there's this book called Total Competition by Ross Braun, who actually now kind of makes the rules Formula One. But he crushed it as a team, uh, as a, a, a guy who built Braun GP in 2009, I think, and won the, the Constructor Championship. And one of the things he said in the book, which I loved so much, and I read it right when I started to, to get into F1, is he said, at the beginning of the Formula One season, the team that wins... If you take that car and enter it in the last race of the season, they'd finish last because the, yeah. of how much everybody improves week to week. And that to me, I mean, it's almost like golf, right? Where it's just like the innovations week to week are so interesting to me. So I fell in love with the competitive aspect of it. I actually didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, when Netflix came out and it was all about the personalities and the team principles and stuff like that, I actually didn't get into it that way uh but now i have because of just just everything that's gone on but i i I just i fell in love with this one pretty quickly how uh so you haven't really covered it right you just you've just kind of followed it as a hobby and everything like that what are you what are you looking for this week are you just looking to soak it all in and kind of do a first person recap of hey here's here's my first formula one race and and i drank from the fire hose and (laughs) <laughs> so uh i I've, I've i've spoken to one formula one uh driver ever and it was george russell who came on our show slow news day last year we've been doing the podcast uh on the ringer for the past couple of weeks um been pretty successful a lot of i mean the american appetite for this is huge right now yeah. it's gonna be three races in america next year it's great um i think the biggest thing you know we had zach brown on uh the podcast a couple weeks ago that was a pretty good entry point i think the biggest thing is just seeing what this is, is like and what these drivers are like and like someone told me the other day like be prepared everybody's much shorter than you think it's a lot of short kings in that paddock <laughs> like you know that that to me it's just like what's what's, what's gonna go on in, in this paddock right now so i think I, I i'm more fascinated with the american boom you know uh 
my, my boss, Bill Simmons, uh, texted me a couple of days ago, and he said that the Miami race to him is fascinating because it's almost like if you started the Kentucky Derby from scratch. And in so much, it's that like we're going to see some really famous people getting in the jet with other really famous people and making this a party weekend. And I think that people aren't really prepared for it. Like I, I know some of the names who are coming down here to party this weekend and I'm trying to get them on the podcast and it's not, it's not working so far. Um, <laughs> but like, it's going to be, it's going to be a really incredible experience. And it's probably like, I don't even know if it's going to announce that F1 is, has made it in America. It's just going to announce that, that F1 is a place where you can have a good time if you have a ton of money. It seems like it's almost a prelude to next year when they do Miami again and then they do Vegas, which seems like it's going to be absolutely outrageous. It's going to be like, you know, the NFL draft was this weekend plus, uh, you know, big time UFC or boxing match plus, yeah. plus like a college football national championship game or a Super Bowl plus an F1 race. Like, like, you know, all that. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, having three races in America and, and I'll, I'll push back on the folks who say, it was interesting. We had this guy from the Miss Apex podcast, Standards, on a couple of weeks ago, and he actually said F1 is now an American sport. And what's interesting to me, Tron, is that I've gotten, we started doing the podcast, and the one thing I expected, because I, I'm a big soccer fan, right? And if you have an American accent, there's, in soccer, there's a, a pretty immediate skepticism that you have to, you know, all, all of my friends who cover soccer full-time from America there's always going to be a level of British fan or Italian fan who's like, what do you know? That's not, you know, it's not what you guys do. And they're able to obviously overcome that. Like I've actually not gotten that in formula one when we've done the podcast. And I was surprised by that. I thought there would be. And I think part of that is because people realize that like F1 is all in on America, you know, I mean, like the different yeah. Chelsea is not going to, it's not going to start playing a bunch of games in New York, but F1 is going to come here and have three races, which by the way, they had three races in America in the eighties as well. Um, so it's not like this is unprecedented. It's just that F1 understands they're all in. And so I think F1 fans understand that, that America is going to play a crucial role going forward in the sport. Yeah. All boats rise. It's totally mutually beneficial. What, uh, mm -hmm. you haven't gone out there yet in Miami. Is it just totally like, was it tough to get a hotel room? Is it, is it totally slammed down there? Yeah. So I'm actually, the, the, the biggest thing that I learned is that, so I'm going to Europe with, with my wife right after this on Monday, Flights from Miami to Europe. I mean, it is unbelievable. It's like the it's like it's like the road, right? The Cormac McCarthy novel. Like you cannot. We're just all <laughs> trying to get out. So I'm actually flying from Orlando because I mean, you're looking at like I'm not. It's like not, not, it's not like a thousand dollars difference. It's like it's like many thousands of dollars. Like four, it's like four grand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like if I was going to Europe from Miami, I'd probably have to start selling off like beloved items. Um, so that yes, uh, really hard to get there. And like also the tickets, you know, I, I saw at the combine, I saw somebody work for the dolphins and I said, you know, what's up with this race? Are you excited? And she was like, I, I don't, she was like, there's people who just like, can't, it's like Super Bowl level prices. Mm -hmm. And there's people who were like, high up in the NFL who were like, yo, let me get, let me get two tickets. And they're like, yeah, cool. That would be $4,000, please. I mean, it's it, it, the demand for it. It really is Super Bowl level anticipation and Super Bowl level prices and, and that kind of thing. And I think you're going to see this weekend, just, just how, uh, I mean, have you seen the fake Marina yet? I, I I've seen renderings of it. I haven't seen the actual, I mean, uh, dude, it is, this is going to be the wildest. This is going to be so wild. Like I, I just, yeah, it, it, it's it, Miami is a complete also like F1 is 
like every kind of douchey person I know who's like, you know, like a trust fund kid or like, you know, like a fake real estate agent or whatever. Yeah. Like in the last two months, they've all been like, dude, I'm trying to get down to Miami, dog. Like that's, <laughs> I'm, I, I got, I got to come down to Miami. It's like, like a it's status a, symbol. It's yeah. a status symbol, right, right, right. Being in the, like I saw someone said, someone said to me, or I saw a tweet rather, um, someone sent to me that, that uh, the paddock passes for Sunday are like $9,000. Like that seems low for the amount yeah. of like scummy dudes who want to be in the paddock on Sunday. Like 9,000, that's, that's, yeah. that's a couple, it's a couple Bitcoin brother. Like you just sell, you know, you just, I don't know what Bitcoin is right now. I think it's higher than 9,000. But anyway, like the amount of people who have that kind of money, I'm surprised that 9,000 is the going rate. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's, and it's up in like, it's kind of like, it's funny. It's up in what Miami gardens, like way North of Miami too. Right. It's up yeah. in the stadium. Well, yeah, it, it is. It is. It's yeah. working a lot of the stadium. And that's why I was laughing because I had a, a British guest on the show last week and they're talking about the fake Marina. And I was like, dude, my favorite team, the Miami hurricanes plays in that stadium. Glamour is not something I would associate no. anywhere around that stadium or certainly in the parking lot. Like it's like a corporate are, office they are park. racing a Formula One race. Yeah. It, it the like yes, like one of the parking lots is in the 24 hour fitness. Yeah. And like I, I I like shotgun beers before Miami plays Georgia Tech in that parking lot. And now like Max Verstappen's gonna be running around there. Like that is not something I expected. And the, the fact that they're gonna turn into a glamour spot is really funny to me. Yeah, it's funny too. Like I, I just can't wait for. I think it was Austin last year when, um, uh, who is it? Is it Crofty or Brundle? Whoever, whoever runs around the the uh, uh, start line and yeah. does all the interviews. And when he when he did the thing with tried to get Megan the Stallion on yeah. and and got totally big timed, and then Serena's there, and it was it was just such a it was such a it was, scene. Br- it was Brundle. It was Brundle. Brundle. Yeah, yeah. And any 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 handled it so you know it was just like like watching him try to interact with celebrities who don't realize how big of a deal he is and how how much you know he would be respected over at the British Grand Prix or they know. they banned you know they banned bodyguards after that or they 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 really? uh, cut that cut down on access to the grid for bodyguards after because because I just liked it like they didn't cut down on Brundle's access. They cut down on the access for the bodyguards. Well, that's the that's thing. That's how it's big like, a deal Brundle is. It's so American that like these people are so insulated. That they're like, wait, like, you know what? Like this guy's trying to invade my turf. No, you're on his turf. Like you you're also to- walking through the F1 grid. Yeah. yeah. Right before the race. Whose turf are you on? Yeah. Or the, I mean, shit, the one where, you know, they're over in Saudi Arabia, and, you know, MBS is, is down there walking around on the, on the grid. Yeah. Just, just what a scene. Um, so, all right. So going from NFL draft to this, I know you like, like, I can't keep up with you cause you do, you do some college football <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you, do, yeah. you do the ringer NFL show. You do slow news day. Uh, you do all sorts of written pieces. I mean, what, like, do you ever feel stretched thin or just, just feel like, Holy shit. Like what, like what, what is my true kind of core thing or, or is it kind of whatever you set your mind to that week or that day? I mean, it's easy because my core thing is the NFL, like full stop. Yeah. And that will never yeah. not be true. Um, mm-hmm. That's the thing I know the most about. That's the thing with the best connections I have. That's the thing I like doing the most. Um, and I, I, you know, there will never be uh, a lack of interest or a lack of opportunities there. So that's, that's it. I would say that over the past couple of years, I've become more intrigued by other things. I'd say F1 is different because F1 has nothing to do with the NFL. Right. Yeah. Like there's nothing there. It's a totally different sport. I'm learning. I'm reading PDFs of, of Honda's, you know, race car, uh, race car mechanics, 
guides or whatever. Um, that that's that's just a completely new thing. College football to me is a little easier. College football at certain points in my life has been my favorite thing in the world. Growing up yeah. in Florida, um, it, it, it was just second nature. And like, I was surprised. I'm one of these guys probably living in a, a Southern bubble where like, I went to, you know, you, you, I moved to New York city and there are just people who, who wouldn't know who like Colt McCoy was. Right. And it's like, what, mm-hmm. what, what the hell, like, what the hell is this? And, and so um, I didn't, I guess I didn't know that that it was so special to grow up in Florida when, you know, Florida state is good and Florida's good. Miami's good. And there's just a, um, it's a religion. It really is a religion. It's the closest thing to European soccer that you can get. And so I think that, um, I think that there's, I think it, a, it's really easy to, to, for me to write about college football because I follow it and I'm, I'm passionate about it. Um, but then there's also, it ends up helping. Like one of the things say, it ties think, in, it feeds, it yeah, feeds, yeah. Yeah. It feeds in. And so like, it's really easy for me. I was able to go. So week 17 this year in the NFL was the weekend of the, uh, the, the, national championship game, Georgia yeah. and Alabama. So it was really easy for me. I can watch the NFL. I can do a podcast from Indy. Uh, my normal, my, my most important thing, which is hosting the Ringer NFL show. And then on Monday night when nothing else is happening, I can go to, go to the natty. And that was really fun. I wrote a column off that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ties in because you get into a situation where you saw the draft a couple nights ago and the Packers take two Georgia guys at the back of the first round. And one of the things that's interesting to me is I've been following recruiting and following the recruiting patterns. And, and I was able to say on the podcast, because I think this is interesting, that the way recruiting goes now, it's actually much more beneficial to take the fifth or sixth best guy on Georgia than it is the top guy on South Carolina in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just because over the past five years, 60% of five stars have gone to the same five schools over and over again. Right. And five stars actually overwhelmingly become first round picks. And there's all sorts of crazy uh, stats about, you know, two stars or whatever, only because there's more two stars and five stars. Let's, let's put that aside. Yeah. Um, having said that, like, I just think that college football, um, you know, it helps me in my NFL job. So I don't ever feel stretched too thin. Um, I'd say the F1 thing was a new challenge, as I said, because it's a completely foreign thing, um, literally and figuratively. But I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't take on too much. Now, I, I've tried to do more golf as well. That's probably yeah. a bridge too far with the F1 stuff this year. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to be able to say, all right, I'm into this this week. Let's just do a column on it. That's what keeps you fresh. Like that's what keeps me fresh. That's the trap draw for us. It's like it's we cover golf, but this right. this this is another sandbox that we can play in. Like like I think DJ yeah. and I are gonna do one on on Top Chef in a couple of weeks. Or oh hell yeah, uh, we'll have KVV on. Like like Randy and I have never seen The Godfather, so we're gonna have KVV on to do one on The Godfather. Or you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all right, how was the draft? Like like how many drafts have you been to? So I didn't go, I don't go to the draft. Okay. 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 So So you're following on TV, probably easier. So I don't think, I don't think it's all that beneficial. So I've been to five drafts, five drafts. And you have to remember like all of the GMs, all of the scouts, they're in their own facility. It's not like the combine. It's not like the owner's meeting. So I, I go to the combine every year. Everybody who's important is within a three block radius. That's important to me. The owner's meeting, every GM coach, owner, obviously, number two in the front office, you know, owner's kids, anybody you'd ever need to talk to is within one hotel, right? So that to me is the most valuable thing. The, the, the draft, sure, I would like to have gone to Vegas and like, you know, even some David Chang restaurants or whatever, but like, I just feel like it's not, 
It's all window dressing. It's not all that beneficial. Right. Yeah. It's all window dressing and you you miss stuff. Like you really yeah. do miss stuff. Um, yeah. it's good to see people there, you know, like uh the first time I the first time I ever met PFT commenter, he uh, approached me at a uh, in the balcony of a draft. He was drinking Mad Dog twenty twenty, uh, and just like running around like that's you don't, you don't you don't get that. I think that was twenty thirteen. I want to say you don't get that sitting in your apartment. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think it's all that valuable from a coverage standpoint. So I just I just sit at home. And and as far as as far as the draft goes, how are you consuming it? Do you have NFL Network on one screen? Do you have ESPN yeah. on the other screen? And then four Twitter, you know, four Twitter feeds going and, and are you just mainlining content and, and, and chatter? Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it's just like everything, every single, like, uh, you know, you have, you have NFL network, you have ESPN, you have the, the, the live streams on the side. Like you're just kind of toggling between that and you're yeah. just trying to figure out what would be best. Like, I mean, there are times where, you know, ABC has it now. And I actually liked what I, what I liked was you have the option you know, I think Daniel Jeremiah is one of the smartest people in football, right? I agree. So you have yeah. the option to hear him. But then if there's like a college, if there's a run on, on a certain college or whatever, it was really good to have Reese Davis on and those guys and RG3, who was covering the college game last year, every Saturday. Like I like the ABC thing. I wish, I wish Herbie had been, had been on it this year. He obviously had a health health issue and wasn't able to make it. But like, I love the, the, the amount of options that you have now, because it used to just be, Berman and Kuiper, you know, and a Gruden. Did you see the uh, did you see the cut of of Gruden trying to get every single team to draft Johnny Manziel a couple of years ago? So someone put it out there like last week and it was like, here's here's Gruden the night of the Johnny Manziel draft. And it was just a super cut of every single team being like and Gruden's like, I don't know, man, I'd go Johnny Manziel here. And then at one point, Berman was like, you said Johnny Manziel to Dallas and Romo is not even that old. And yeah. he's like, you're going to put Romo out to pasture. And he's like, yeah, you can find something for Manziel to do. And it's like, dude, you're just like, he's literally just, just throwing shit at the wall. Yeah. And then he, and then he ends up having, having personnel responsibility and, and you look at what happened and it's not a, it's not a shock to see, you know, uh, yeah. some of the Raiders stuff over the, over the last year and a half, two, three years. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. So I, I loved, I love the idea of being able to do Riddick or Jeremiah or, um, or, you know, the, the college thing on ABC, Laura Rutledge was so good. Like I, I actually just like the, the effect that you can toggle between depending on who's yeah. going. Uh, do you think Riddick will get a, get a look for an NFL GM job or do you think Mayock's kind of poisoned the well from pulling, pulling from the TV? <laughs> well, so I, I was surprised that Mayock got a GM job, like an actual GM job, because the way I've typically heard it is a lot of these guys get offers to be like the number three or the yeah. number two often, the, the kind of draft next or the, the big analysts. Like, I think that is probably more, I mean, Riddick's obviously been in the front office. Riddick, yeah. um, you know, was a valuable member of the Eagles and all that stuff. I think it'd be a surprise again to see a TV guy go right into the, the GM role, the, you know, Matt Millen also did that, by the way. Um, but I don't, I, I think that you're going to see maybe a decade of like, Hey man, we'd love to have you as, you know, a player, player personnel head, so, you know, something like that. Yeah. Where he's not a GM, but he's, he's still, he's still in the mix. And then, and then you go and you, you get a GM job somewhere else. I think we're looking, and that's not just Riddick. That's any draft neck on TV. That's any analyst. Like I, I think that I think that the media to GM pipeline is, has dried up um, because of the Mayock thing for a while. Yeah, 
Um, all right, well, let's talk actual draft. I was it got crazy, man. It uh let's let's start with the Jags here. I think uh where do you fall out on the Trayvon Walker stuff? I mean, I see the upside. I I'm I'm you know, I'm like a diet Jags fan. I'm I'm a Falcons fan, which sucks. Um, you know, and then follow the Bengals pretty closely, but like I'm just you know, we've got bulky. And that's, it's a tough scene. I was thinking, all right, anybody that's had an ACL injury, like, like I thought he was going to go after George Pickens trade back up. I thought that's what they were going after coming back into the first round, but uh, where do you fall? That's out torn the- ACL available. Is that what you're exactly, saying? That's exactly. You're just, you're just scouring. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it sounded like it was, you know, he kind of won out versus uh shot and Tony Khan and, and, you know, I mean, I see the upside, but also, man, it just seems like kind of a risk. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, of pure athleticism. And I think you can only – I think the only way to draft well over like a decade – and if you look at the studies, no one really drafts well, right? Like yeah. even the teams – so so uh, I think Seattle, Baltimore, and Green Bay, uh, if you look at football outsiders that started a couple of years ago, basically over a decade, they were the ones who were above average, but even they had complete zero drafts, right? And I think that the um, – I think that – the only way to be better than you should be is draft off pure athleticism. But I also think that if you have Aiden Hutchinson had, I think the second best yeah. three cone of, of any defensive end in the history of, um, of, of the position at the combine. Um, I think that both of them were good athletes. Trayvon Walker had a different type of body, long arms. It was funny because I, I don't know if you saw the Niners writers, but once they, once the arm measurements came out, the Niners writers were like, this is only going one way. Like, again, like Trent Falke's got a couple of things that he really cares about. One He's of got a type. ACLs. But yeah, but lo- long, long arms are, are one of those things. And so I don't, I, I, I don't think that they're, I think that it got a little bit, Trayvon Walker is a big guy who can move. And one of the yeah. things I always come back to, like Chip Kelly said this years ago and I think about it all the time, big guys beat up little guys, right? And you always try to find special athletes and draft and go with the guys. I mean, I look at kind of the, the explosion numbers at the combine, which means some combination of vertical jump, broad jump, uh, 40 yard dash, three cone, and just kind of mix it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, Trayvon Walker was very, very good at those things. But so was Aiden Hutchinson overall. And Hutchinson had so much more production. I would have gone with Hutchinson. I would have gone with Hutchinson in that spot. Georgia used their guys in a different way. Jordan Davis, to me, I think is going to end up being the best player in the first round um, because of all the things that we're talking about. And, and it was crazy to me, Tron, because I would get in these fights with scouts or, or front office guys where I'd say, like, why isn't Jordan Davis going top five? He might be the most special athlete I've seen in, like, 15 years at that size with that, that ability to move. And they said, well, he can't be on the field all the time. So no one's going to take him top five. Who cares? Like who cares? Like he can do amazing things when he's on the field or just figure out a way for him to be on the field. Um, and so anyway, this is all, all this to say is that I think that um, the Georgia guys in the first round are going to end up being a special group. I think the one exception I would make is I would have taken Hutchinson over Walker just because of the production. And I, I, I don't know how that's going to shake out. If I were the Jaguars, I just would have traded back and taken anything. I would have just made up that Malik Willis was going to and just tried to tried to drum up some interest there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a fascinating decision. And I just hope, as someone who, who, who vaguely cares about the Jaguars, um, 
you know, I, I've lived in, I lived in San Augustine during the 2020 yeah. NFL season. Um, like I don't, and I've, I've spent a ton of time in North Florida. Like I hope Walker is the pick. I hope by the way that Trevor Lawrence is like served well over the course of, of the next four years, because I think that the situation he's been put in, you know, year one of a five-year deal that it was, it was pathetic. And I just hope that for his sake, Trayvon Walker turns out to be a great franchise changing player on defense. All right. Talking about Jags. Did did you think the Christian Kirk deal was as outrageous and, you know, resetting the market as, or is it kind of overblown and they had to do what they had to do just to get somebody competent in the door as far as like a number two receiver? No, dude, it was pretty, I don't think it was overblown. (laughs) I I think the initial numbers were overblown. I think yeah, that happens, of course. Now, right? Where yeah, an yeah. agent comes in and says, "Like, oh, this deal is for you know, they're giving them the Mike Trout oh, deal. He's making five hundred million dollars." That's my that's pet peeve, money. man. That's my yeah. pet peeve. It's like report the real numbers, you know. Um, the other thing I would say is like, I, I think one thing is overblown, which is the idea that Christian Kirk signing led to Devontae Adams making $28 million and Tyreek Hill making $28 million. And like now the new market is $30 million. Like I don't, I don't think that had anything to do with anything. Um, I think it had a little bit, I had a couple people joke that this is all Trent Falke's fault. I think that there are, and there, listen, there are people in the league who do believe that. I'm not, I'm not completely dismissing it, but I do think that like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, we're going to try to get as much money as possible, yeah. no matter what. And I don't think that the Raiders and the, and the Dolphins completely changed their team building strategy because of Christian Kirk. Um, we already knew what the going rate was for, for a receiver. Um, and I'm, I'm just intrigued by the receiver market in general right now, because what's interesting to me is there are people inside the league who have said to me that eventually running back, sorry, wide receiver will become like the junior version of running back where there's so many good ones that you stop paying them. However, the exact opposite is happening because of what we're seeing in the free agent market, which is this guy's getting $28 million. So we don't want to pay $28 million. So we're going to take a guy with the 15th pick. And so you're going to end up seeing because of the way NFL teams don't want to pay wide receivers, they're actually going to use first round picks on them. So it's going to yeah. become even more of a valuable position. And then those first round picks will get $28 million from another team. Like it, it, it's actually now it's a cycle that I don't know how you actually break. Like wide receiver is actually going to be the second most valuable position forever because unless teams in mass decide we're not paying these guys. Yeah. Or, or unless it becomes super plug and play. Cause I think, you know, seeing um, seeing Chase and Jefferson and those guys pop right into a lineup and, and just yes. absolutely ball out. It seems like they're a little bit more plug and play, but also some of that's because, you know, the, the college offenses seem seem a little bit more advanced than they were, say, 10 years ago. Right. They're, they're being asked to do more in college and and the NFL offenses are a little bit simplified on that front, too. Right. But yeah, so so I've written a lot about this and going back probably early, like 2013, 2014, NFL teams really struggled on how to evaluate college prospects once the spread era started. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of misses, quarterbacks and wide receivers in, say, the 2013 draft, the 2014 draft, because the route trees were different, because, uh, you know, some of these receivers, some of these quarterbacks weren't used to identifying the Mike linebacker and stuff like that. And what ended up happening, and I think Andy Reid had something to do with this, Chip Kelly had a little bit to do with this, is that what ended up happening is the NFL finally stopped being stubborn. And a lot of it was the end of sort of the retread coach. There's less Jeff Fishers in the world. There's less Hugh Jacksons in the world. And, and what ended up happening is that NFL offenses became more like college offenses. And I don't think you can overstate how, how important that was, the development of the league. 
and the fact that Mahomes could come in and and, and run the spread and and uh, have a pretty successful run almost immediately. Um, I think that if Mahomes was born in nineteen. Let's say 1985, 1986, you'd had a much worse run of it, and I think that that's something that um, has, has frankly changed the game. And I think receivers are seeing the same thing. There were, you know, I had a GM tell me that they couldn't evaluate wide receivers because the, again, the route tree was so different. And now they're just like, cool. Why don't we just make that our route tree? That's the difference now. Mm-hmm. Who was your favorite receiver in this draft? Oh my gosh! So I, I'm actually going off the board here. I love the Packers pick, Christian Watson. That he was uh, at, the, at the top of the second round. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm saying he's the best athlete at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, again, that, that's how you win. And I also think that when you look at the Packers draft, they there, there were all sorts of reasons for them to reach for a receiver because Aaron Rodgers would be upset because Aaron Rodgers is going to McAfee as soon as the draft was over and all that stuff. And they didn't do that. And they got the two defenders who I think have a really high floor and are going to be good immediately. And then they got Christian Watson with the 34th pick. So that to me is pretty amazing. I think long-term Jameson Williams is, is going to be great. Like Detroit is building the right way. Once yeah. they get a quarterback, they're going to be pretty good. And so I would say that my favorite pick was Watson. I think the best receiver ends up being Jamison Williams. And I really like Garrett, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave too, kind of, kind of 2A, 2B on, on my board. I thought Dotson to the commanders was interesting as well. I'm still getting used to calling him the commanders, but uh, just, you know, that seemed a little early for him, but uh, you know, kind of feel like they needed somebody opposite scary Terry there. I, I can't do the commanders thing anymore. I can't, I, I, I don't think, I think this is the first time I've actually called him the commanders. I just think all the Redskins, everybody's like, I mean, the commanders shouldn't they just like, be Washington. Shouldn't they just call Washington? The Washington, the Washington football team. I like that. That, that made sense to me. So that was uh, um, when, when my, my, my old colleague, uh, Jason Gay said that he had, he tweeted this because someone had emailed him a couple of years ago that when the Brooklyn Nets were moving, one of the, you know, the every logo people, design people, they all pitch different things. And uh, one of the pitches uh, from a creative firm was for the Brooklyn Nets to just be called Brooklyn, which is so much cooler. That's such a flex. That'd be awesome, right? It'd be so it unique. So, just Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Don't give no, the Brooklyn Nets. What does that even mean? I'm totally with you. Um, I think that's that's a miss. Uh, the Commanders is so is so lame. It's it's like the Titans. Like I I hate the Titans' entire aesthetic. I, their I, name. I said this on a podcast. So I said this on a podcast last year. I said the Titans could use a rebrand. Oh, just terrible and uniforms. Just awful colors. Titans fans agreed with me. Yeah, I, like I don't even like you know. Most what, Titans like, fans agreed with me. I don't even like. It's just like Vrabel doesn't do it for me. It's just not my kind of not my style of coach. I can't stand Tannehill. It's just it's just a moribund franchise in my opinion. I actually like the Titans as a franchise. I like not not the branding part of it. Like Vrabel's a cool dude. His grandparents live in Orlando, so we talk Orlando, which is extremely valuable. Um, not I have not asked if he's a Magic fan. I don't think he is, um, but. <laughs> But like John Robinson's a good GM. Yeah. That like Nashville is also just a cool city. Like if I could, if I could be the GM of any team, like Nashville seems pretty cool because it's a good city. It's a situation where like there's not a ton of media pressure. Yeah. So you can just kind of do whatever you need to do. I'm I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in as on a, as a concept on on the Titans. I think it's just because I I hate Ohio State so much, 
and he, you know, he, he came and coached oh, yeah. urban and all that. So, um, I was so stoked. I'm just, I'm just pulling them from, I'm just pulling them all over the place. We're going all over the place here. Uh, I was so stoked to see Danny gray go to the Niners. I texted push. I was like, dude, they, you know, like he's, he's on the board. They need to, they need one more, like take the top off guy. Uh, I think, I think, I think Iuk's going to have a big year. Uh, they're going to get the Debo thing figured out. Or do you, do you think they get the Debo thing figured out? Or do you think it, it continues to fester? So isn't there an obvious solution to the Debo thing, which is he doesn't want to be used like that because he doesn't want to threaten his money. Right. He doesn't want to be a running back. Yeah. 80 snap, 80 snaps over the course of the season because he does. He wants to get a big extension. If you pay him now and say, here's your money, we promise you that we're going to use you in a different way. We're going to limit how much you're in the backfield. We'll limit how many straight up wide receiver or sorry, uh, running back plays you get. Maybe you line up in the backfield, but you, you know, obviously it has to be secret because they can't give up what they're going to do from a scheme standpoint. But like, I feel like they can come to some sort of, of uh, agreement. But I also think that the part of it is look at kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, the chiefs got rid of their best receiver. The chiefs are a smart organization. The Packers got rid of their top receiver Packers. Damn, damn smart organization. Maybe there's a trend here that we're not looking at where maybe the Niners are actually saying, you know what? No receivers worth $25 million. No receivers worth $28, $30 million. I don't think Debo's in that range, but I, I, I don't know. If they want to keep him, they can. And, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is $25 million off the cap as soon as he's gone. And I don't know how you, I don't know if they thought that Jimmy would be gone by an hour or whatever, but I, I think that uh, the Debo thing to me is a pretty good litmus test on how smart organizations view wide receivers. Um, having said that, no, I, Danny Gray to me, I mean, four, three speed is four, three speed. I agree with you. And I think that the, the Niners are going to be really freaking good as long as Trey Lance is, is ready. Yeah. I think also like talking about the, you know, hits against the cap, like as far as the cap rising, it, our, our salaries, I mean, it seems like receivers are certainly getting a bigger piece of the pie, but also we need to become a little bit more desensitized to, how big these numbers are because the cap's going up, you know, so much like it's, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. Right. I mean, it's, it's going up, especially versus versus two years ago. Right. So, yes. Um, so there's so much, there's so much to unpack about that because there was a report a couple of weeks ago that within, within, I don't know, five years, there'll probably be a hundred million dollar a year quarterback at some point. If you just look at the fact that there are 50 right now and the cap keeps going up and up and up and up. Yeah, that, that, that seems like something that, that, that's going to happen. And so um, I don't I, I think that the way the cap is going and we still don't know, you know, the cap reliably rose at least ten million dollars from I want to say 2013 to 20 until COVID. Basically, that changed the way teams built that changed for agency. And remember, I'm sure you remember this because we're, we're probably around the same age where when we were growing up, it was oh, free agency is a it's a bad word. You don't want to dip into free agency. Yeah. It's, it's, it's other people's mistakes and all that stuff. And then I think people understood, like we had the money to do it. Teams got smarter figuring out who would be a fit for their system. And free agency became a viable way to build a team. I mean, the Rams, the backbone of the Rams team was the guys that they drafted, right? Aaron Donald was drafted. Um, and we kind of understood what that, what that looked like. Cooper cup was drafted, um, but they understood how to augment through free agency. 
And the, the story of that is the story of the rising cap. So I think that there's, um, I think that we're, we need to become completely, I mean, it's like NIL money right now, right? Where it's like, we need to become completely comfortable with the fact that we're going to see numbers that we're not used to. That That's always been the case. You know, when there was a 30 million, Matt Ryan was 30, a $30 million quarterback, first $30 million quarterback per year. Yeah. And I saw Thomas Dimitrov, who was the GM at the time, like a week later. And I said to him, I was like, you know, the way quarterback quarterback salaries go, uh, this will become a bargain in like two years. And he said, wait, how long did you say? And I was like, two years. And he's like, under, way under, like way six under. Months. And that's to yeah. be right. Yeah, yeah. Six, yes. And like now, now if, Matt, if the Matt Ryan of 2017 or whatever it was, 2018, uh, that level of production, if he got an extension now, you're looking at the, the mid 40s. That's just how it goes. So um, yes, the cap, the changing cap has changed everything. Yeah, I think, gosh, like looking back to, you know, Andy Dalton's deal, I'm like, oh my God, the Bengals are insane. And it's like, hey man, this is the cost of having even even a coherent starting quarterback right now. And it's either, you know, use it or lose it. Uh, God, you like, I kind of forgot about Dimitrov. Which going back, going back to your point from earlier about like, you know, size wins and big guys beat up little guys. Like that's what pissed me off so much about when he took Vic Beasley, who, you know, I just like I was never a Vic Beasley guy. And then when when the previous or the two regimes ago here in Jack's took uh, uh Chase on and it's like like I just didn't see it at the time. I'm like, this guy, this guy wasn't very good at LSU. I know he's yeah. like a good athlete, but like I'm just like he seems small too right he seems like kind of a wiry dude and it's like he's not good yet you know and, and yeah like like sometimes i struggle with with the amount of projection that goes on for for guys that 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 have some of the physical tools but don't necessarily have the traits yet or don't necessarily have the actual size yet like they still have to fill in their frame i think that's where i struggle a little bit of like that seems like it's it's a bridge too far where you know not only is this guy you know not had the production yet, but he's also like, you know, A, B, and C have to go right for him to be, uh, you know, a viable contributor, especially especially in the top ten. Yeah, so I, I I would push back on that a little bit because I think that after a certain point, you're always you're, a it's all guessing. But then I would also say that the traits thing, a, a great example, and I joke about this a lot, but like because they value at pure athleticism and don't even look at production after the first round, probably like, I, I literally don't know Christian Watson's production. I don't know. Like I just saw his testing yeah. numbers and he, he was, he was, he was invited to the combine. So like, I assume he wasn't putting up, you know, three yards a game, but I, I, I the way I view it is very boom and bust. And I've always joked that if I were a GM, I would draft maybe a record number of Hall of Famers and we would never make the playoffs. We, we would like go, we would go two and 15 every year and there'd be like four guys who were wearing gold jackets immediately. Like, because like the way I view it, like I loved Alvin Kamara just from his, his jumping numbers. Fred Warner is another guy I was really oh. high on on the podcast for yeah. weeks out. Justin, Sim- Justin Simmons, another guy. I was like, this guy's going to be a mid-round value. But the other part of that, is like there was this guy Obi Melonfalu who I just adored, and he couldn't play at all. I, I think he, I think he's either on a practice squad or he might be in one of those other leagues at this point, right? Um, like that, that, that tends to happen. Like I love this kid, uh, I, I, Devon Kuyus, I think is how you pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. He, he retired. He retired to uh, to go open a crystal shop. Okay, literally, literally, that's what he's doing. He's doing like healing crystal stuff. 
like that. Too. So I guess in the pre-draft stuff, if you ask him and he's like, I'm really into crystals. That's part of my life. Instead of football, like maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would have stayed away. Um, but I think that athleticism, so all this to say, like, I think more times than not, athleticism matters than, than anything else. And you need a, a requisite athleticism in the NFL. And I don't mind the traits and the projection. So like I had a, um, I have a couple of people that I'm, I'm luckily in the NFL able to like send prospects to when, uh, when I, I like them and I just say, Hey, what do you think about this guy? I was just watching this game. Um, like, hey, hey, Taylor, hey, hey it's like, hey, like, check me here. Like, am I totally off base yeah. here? Or yeah, is this- yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, like, Avante Taylor is actually a guy who, who got drafted by the Saints, I think in the second round, um, who was one of those guys last year I sent to it. And um, I had asked last year a couple of guys, and one of these guys um, was like a number two, or he's number two or number three in an organization, was just like, you keep sending me like high energy, high motor effort guys when you're watching them from the tape and they don't have, they're like, you're sending me the best college players and they lack the athleticism to play in the NFL. And he's like, if you actually, you know, he was just trying to educate me. And he was like, you need your eyes need to figure out athleticism because you need to be able to watch it and say like, Oh, this guy moves in a way that he can move to the NFL. And that's why I think I go off of testing numbers a lot is because my eyes, I always look at the effort guys. I always look at the high motor guys and I say, this guy's amazing. You know, I think part of that is this this guy was joking around. He's like, you'd be the best, uh, you know, high school to college scout of all time because you're just finding these guys who I can dominate at the college level and can't. They just don't. It's just such a different game that uh, using athletic benchmarks and traits, I think, is just as good as anything else. So, so on that note, like, where do you fall out on somebody like Kyle Hamilton, man, who you watch him play and he's clearly, he's clearly a, you know, a stud and he's got just crazy instincts that can make up for any, any sort of 40 time or whatnot. And I, you know, I think some of that was just because he was hurt and didn't test well and all that, but, but like, where do you fall out on someone like him that clearly you trust your eyes, but also, you know, the context is the numbers, right? Yeah, so I, th- there's there's one thing that needs to be kind of spelled out as far as his career, which is a he, he was a stud every every game he played in Notre Dame. But the forty yard dash to me is not a huge deal. The the, the mm-hmm. vertical jump was awesome, um, thirty eight, and and the broad jump was uh, almost eleven feet. Three cone was under seven, which is important. So I think he t- he tested well athletically, except for that speed. And the speed didn't look like it was an issue on tape. He can dominate. I mean, I was joking about uh, someone like Justin Simmons earlier, who was in the, the four sixes, I think, at one point. He's he's gotten a big contract with the Broncos. So I think in that in that that Baltimore system, um, I knew that they were going to get someone good because the way the draft was going. I was talking about Jordan Davis earlier. Yeah. I knew something. I knew there'd be a prospect where teams just missed on a guy and he slid to Baltimore at 14 and I was thrilled. It was Kyle Hampton. They're going to use him. Well, I don't think the 40 yard dash is the be all end all for, for safeties at all. They're going to be able to figure him out. And it seemed like too, it was just, you know, between wide receivers and defensive line, it was like, that's what everybody was on. And then, so, I mean, do you attribute some of his slide just to, just to safety and just, you know, kind of positional value? Yeah. There as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, by the way, Ed, Ed Reed, different player, but ran a four point four five seven. 
which is yeah. almost the exact same as yeah. as Kyle Hamilton. So we're we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. The Ravens draft was scary, man. Like they got they got they got so much better. Um, and like I'm a, I'm probably the biggest Marquise Brown hater out there. So I think that's addition by subtraction as far as I'm concerned. Setting aside Lamb Lamb's you know personal feelings towards 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 Hollywood. But um, do you think Rashad Bateman uh, steps up? You think he's he? Or, or do you think they're going to bring in yeah. somebody? Do you, you, you think they're going to poke around on some free agents here too? They might, or they might swing a trade. I would say this. How surprised do you think Lamar was to find out that Kyler also considers Hollywood Brown his best friend? Kind of, yeah. Does, it's a really amazing. Like I'm sure you've had that where it's like, you think someone's like one of your best friends and you meet one of his boys and they're like so much closer. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know. You, I didn't know you were boys with, with Kyler Murray too, like that. Um, Hollywood it's Brown like, was it's like best friends. friends. It's like best friends from different seasons of life, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's like this is one of my yeah, high school yeah, yeah, buddies, yeah, yeah. but like I've never yeah. met. You know, I've never met this guy before. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah. So Hollywood Brown, Lamar Jackson was his best NFL friend, and Kyler Murray was his best college friend. That's just that's just how yeah. it goes. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think they're I don't think they're they're done, but I also think they're pretty good, and like. I think that I think we can forget about I think we can forget about teams so quickly in this league. And I remember the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, Lamar Jackson was like the center of the universe. And and I think that the narrative, like I promise you, everyone's gonna be talking about the Chargers in September. Everybody, everybody, because they got much better. They're gonna start out well. Um, you know, I think the second week of the year they're playing the Chiefs on week two on Amazon for the, their, the debut. Like everyone's going to watch that game. The, the, the Chargers will probably win. So I think that we shift so quickly to the new good team. And I feel like we probably overlook the fact that the Ravens still have the capability to play football as well as anybody in the entire league. And the AFC, I mean, it's like, it, honestly, dude, it reminds me a little bit of golf, right? Where there are eight guys who in theory should just win every week, you know, just all they need is a little bit of good putting and they can just win every single week. That's just sort of how modern golf works because there's there's a depth there. And like, I look at, I gamble on golf all the time and I look at the strokes game and just see like who's doing well at everything. And the answer is like the same eight guys are just crushing it all the time. Well, and And I I think with golf, it's something too, where it's like the, the, like the teams with a truly elite quarterback are the guys that are like gaining massive strokes off the tee. Like they're, they're, they're yes. the most, they're best drivers, of the golf ball, they're accurate and long. It's like the John Roms and you know, the Rory's and those guys. And it's like, that's like, that's going to win eight times out of 10. If their putting gets hot, like you said, like if, yes. if, if they get good injury luck or, you know, if the defense steps up kind of thing. A hundred percent. So the AFC to me, like there are five teams that would win the Super Bowl in most years in the AFC and they're kind of stuck and it comes down to quarterbacks. It comes down to health and it comes down to luck. Like we're going to see, like I said this in the podcast a couple weeks ago, but like, honestly, the difference between those teams in the AFC is going to be a couple of different fumble luck things mm-hmm. and a couple of different, Oh, this guy pulled his hamstring in week 16 kind of stuff. It's going to be, there's, there's nothing between this. I mean, can you really say after the bills and the chiefs played last year that, the Chiefs are that much better than the Bills. Like you play that game a hundred times. How many times do I mean it's probably 50-50, right? Yeah. And I think there's there's even more teams like that. I put the Chargers in there. I mean, like, 
I don't even know how equipped the Bengals are to be in this arms race this year. I think Joe Burrow is an incredibly special person um, and an incredibly special talent, but like everybody got really good. And like Von Miller is not Von Miller of, of 2015, but he's still really good. And I think that we're, we're, we're just seeing, um, we're seeing a depth that really, I don't think we've ever seen before in, in that conference because the bills should win the Super Bowl. The Bengals, in theory, should win the Super Bowl. They almost did it last year. Um, every team in the AFC West looks like they could win the AFC if a couple of things go right. So it's just a completely different, um, a different equation this year. I feel like the Bengals, it's easy to forget, though. Like I was talking to Randy and Poosh and KVV about this, and Randy and Poosh are going back and forth last night at text. Like I, I landed from, I was on a flight from Dallas, and I landed, I had 45 texts going back and forth between the two of them. <laughs> And, and, and Randy made a good point. He's like, people forget that like the Bengals were 10 and seven last year and really yes. kind of scuffled mid season and everything like that. And I think there's, you know, um, there's probably some, some regression, I, I think playoff wise, but there's also, you know, I think they had a little bit of, of bad luck as well. So I think it's kind of, you know, I'm curious, like, so you're, you're bearish on kind of like a sophomore slump for the Bengals here just from like them being you know like they're not going anywhere but they're not going to demonstrably make that next leap maybe until until next year okay so let's take the Steelers out of the equation okay. don't think the Steelers are going to be very I think they're going to be fine yeah. in in 2022 but that don't think they're going to be very good you take that Bengals team you compare them to the Deshaun Watson Browns and the Ravens like I just don't see where they get their clear-cut advantages for. I'm not saying, I think that, I think this is, so much of this comes down to Deshaun Watson's, whether his suspension is this year or next year Mm -hmm. and how long it is. And if it's six games or eight games or four games or whatever, that, that matters, frankly. And that, that to me is just out of, um, that is certainly an externality that I'm I'm considering at this point. Um, And I don't, I'm, I'm completely against what the Browns did in general. And I just, that's, We've, we already did a podcast on that, uh, on, on my feelings of what the Browns did about going on in Deshaun Watson. Not, not, my, not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but if you, just look at, if you look at the AFC North, I just don't see much difference between the Bengals, Browns, and Ravens. And I just think, again, it's going to come down to a little bit of luck. I don't think the Bengals are going to go 7-10 and 10 this year. I just think they're going to be the team they were last year. And I don't know if that's good enough to compete in this AFC where everybody got really good. And they're not going to get matched up against the uh... – weird yeah. plucky Raiders team first round and then and then Tannehill you know pissing down his leg in the right. next round you know everybody Randy here I I thought I heard my name mentioned hopping in to thank one of our other sponsors Precision Pro Golf as the weather turns warmer all across the country it's time to start thinking about your golf goals for this year is it to reach a lower handicap maybe hit more greens in regulation simply to have more fun perhaps whatever your golf goal is i can tell you mine is always to make more birdies and to lower my handicap both of which are going really well right now uh, but yes whatever your goal is precision pro can help they have the smartest rangefinder in the game and the r1 smart rangefinder or their best-selling rangefinder the nx9 slope there's also the all-new ace smart speaker that provides audible gps distances to the green and serves as your personal DJ during your round. Precision Pro offers a one-of-a-kind mixture of innovative technology, premium quality products, and industry-leading customer service. 
You'll never second guess adding a Precision Pro Golf product to your bag, and you'll never second guess your distance. Listeners, right now, go to precisionprogolf.com. Use the coupon code NOLANGUP, all one word, NOLANGUP at checkout to receive $20 off any of Precision Pro's award-winning rangefinders. This year, measure improvement, not just distance, with Precision Pro Golf. Now back to the episode. The Browns are an interesting case. You wrote a really good piece. Uh, was it last year or beginning last, of this last, year? Last year. Yeah, the, on, yeah. Uh, on uh, Andrew Barry. And mm-hmm. expound a little bit more on that because I've like I kind of loved everything that they were doing. And I'm, I'm in kind of a similar boat where it seemed like it was just a radical departure from what you would assume or, or think his team building philosophy would be. I, I, I'm intrigued by Andrew Barry, youngest GM in the league. Um, or he was, I don't know if, if Clezzy is, is younger now, but he was, certainly was when he was hired. And um, what's interesting to me is, you know, he, he's good at everything. And when I talked to Howie Roseman and Tom Telesco and all these guys, he was in every single department, except ironically analytics. Everyone thinks he's, everyone thinks every young GM is an analytics yeah. guy. And Andrew Barry was like, I've never worked in analytics. I don't know where that came from. Um, but he, uh, he was good at the player personnel stuff. He was good at the college stuff. He was good at the, you know, some of the contract stuff. He, he just understood everything. One of the best players in, in modern Harvard football history, you know, could have gone to Wall Street, could have done anything. And I think he evaluated risk pretty well up, up until this last couple of months, right? And I think that, he had said something that stuck with me about the Baker thing, which was he said that he learned from Bill Polian when he worked in Indy that unless the quarterback position is settled, nothing else matters. And then once the quarterback position is settled, you can then figure out how to support the quarterback. That's the second most important thing. But you should not be sleeping at night if your quarterback position is not settled. And I, that's how he's viewed everything. And when you watch Baker last year, I don't know how you think the quarterback position was settled. So I was always, people kept saying like, oh, the, the Browns are offering him $30 million, whatever. I don't think Andrew Barry wanted to sign Baker Mayfield to a long-term extension. Just mm-hmm. reading the tea leaves. I have no inside inf- information on that. I'm just saying when you see Baker Mayfield play over the past 12 months, I don't really, even last October, I don't see, think, feel like there was a pathway for Andrew Barry to say, this is our guy long-term. Uh, maybe they could have signed a deal that was kind of fake and allowed outs and stuff like that. Maybe that's why Baker didn't didn't accept it. But like, it is what it is. That that part's over. Um, the Deshaun thing. I mean, like they they guaranteed him years that other teams wouldn't guarantee, and that's a massive risk. And and this is one you know, I don't. I, I it, it's one of the biggest risks in the history of football to give a guy $230 million fully guaranteed that if there, if for whatever reason, um, if anything happens and he can't play, um, you're, you're destroyed your, your salary cap and let alone just the, the picks you've given up. I mean, that, 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 that to me uh, was hard. And then beyond that, I just think there's something a little bit broken when Deshaun Watson can come out of a grand jury proceeding and then a week later have the most leverage because there's no trade clause have the most leverage of any quarterback, any yeah. player in the history of football. Like yeah. nobody else 
can get leverage in the NFL. That's why we see all these receivers taking their team name out of their bio or whatever. That's, that's, that's always been the problem because of the franchise tag, whatever. Deshaun Watson is the one guy who was able to get leverage, get those guaranteed years, pick the destination he wanted to pick because of all those things. I just don't know how you solve that particular problem. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you got a, a big dose of this down at the owners meetings was like, it seemed like that was, there was like like, like absolute vitriol towards the Haslam's and, and Barry from, from some of the owners from, from saying like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing over there? Like, like, not only has nobody done this, but like, you're doing it for this guy. Like this isn't the guy to, to, to really break precedent with. It's one of the riskiest things I've ever seen in football. And, um, you know, over, over the course of five years, it just seems, again, I, I, I don't know. I, we have to see what the suspension looks like this year. I'm looking at how many unanswered questions there still are. And, and, uh, and I, I, I worry for the Browns and uh, that, that's, that's wrong terminology. I don't worry for the Browns at all. Um, Cause they took this risk. Um, I just think it's, it's a pretty big risk that they, that they've taken. It seemed like too, like the, they're almost taunting the league office a little bit with the, the way that the, the yeah, contract was structured, you know, the, no money year one and all that. And it's like, they're almost, they're almost begging them to suspend the kind of do the Trevor Bauer thing and be like, all right, we're going to suspend him for a second year just to, just to penalize you guys even more for being so brazen about this, you know, um, talk to me about the yeah, owners. Sure. What are, uh, so they were at the breakers this year. So, so when I used to work in the hotel business, we had the owners meetings. Um, I think, I, I don't know if it was, it was the main owners meetings. We had them at the, at the Ritz Carlton Buckhead one year and I was in charge. I remember of- that. Yeah, I was in charge of setting up like the the. Uh, that been like twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I twenty, yeah, twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. Um, mm-hmm. I I was I was one of the guys I had to do like the rooming assignments. So you've got we had two presidential suites, two Ritz Carlton suites, two Buckhead suites, and then a bunch of executive suites, and um, and like Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder and you know, uh, Stan Kroenke, like their, their secretaries are calling and saying like, Oh my gosh, like I, you know, Jerry has to have, has to have the presidential suite or has to have the Ritz Carlton suite. And it was this whole dick measuring contest, uh, you know, basically all around the suites and just seeing the whole hierarchy and power structure. And then, and then you had like the Brown family staying in like, you know, like a handicapped accessible room on the third floor because they didn't want to spend any money, you know, and it was, it was like, it was very much like the whole culture yeah. of the NFL, like manifesting itself in front of my very eyes. Um, but just seeing the, like the whole well, scene in the lobby and, and everything that week was just, it was, it was, it was cool. It was eye opening. It's funny you say that because if I'm not mistaken, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, I believe the Milwaukee Brewers were also in the hotel that week. Do they you remember were. This? Yeah, well, yeah, we had all the and MLB so, teams. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Ryan Braun came down and saw like 30 media members and was just like, what the hell is this? And then he realized that they didn't really, they weren't there for him. Yeah. And he seemed even more confused by that. Yeah. It was always um, something too, where, you know, sometimes we would have multiple baseball teams and then, like it would happen where like we'd have the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or Garth Brooks or somebody. And yeah. like same kind of thing would happen. They'd be like, wait, like why is like, and then they'd realize like, oh, Lil Wayne's sitting in the lobby 
with, you know, Todd Gurley and he was at Georgia at the time. And like, oh, okay. Like I'm not the, I'm not the big fish in this case, you know? Right, 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 right. That, that's always really funny where it's just like someone, no, no one notices that someone's like right there because there's some guy 20% more famous, you know, yeah. 20 feet away. That's, that's always a really funny thing. Have you ever seen the photo of uh, uh, Messi taking a photo of, uh, so this guy Javier Masciano, who played for with Argent- with Messi on Argentina, for some reason a cab driver asked to get a photo of Javier Masciano, and Messi took it, and someone took a photo of that, and it's like that's I want to meet that guy. The guy who's like I don't want a photo of Messi. I want his random Argentine teammate to get. I want that guy, and then Messi's just taking the photo right there. Um, but yeah, no, the owners' meetings are, are kind of like that, where you get. I mean, it's it's the Masters of the Universe, right? And I think that you get. Um, a, a weird hierarchy because oftentimes what people don't realize is that you come in, let's say you're David Tepper and you have billions and billions and billions of dollars. That puts Steve Ross in his bucket too. Yeah. And you come in and you're first of all, not the richest person in the room. In fact, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know. I mean, you're probably not used to that in most situations, but then on the other hand, a, you can't bully people. And B, I'm not saying they they would, but I'm saying that normally you get what you want if you're the richest person in the room. But then B, no one really respects your football acumen. And so that that to me, it's people who are getting their ass kissed in 99% of situations, right? And then they come in and it's like, oh, you know what we really respect? We respect the Rooney family. And then they're probably like, wait, the Rooney's like, they're just kind of, you know, they don't really have as much money. They didn't like build a huge business. It's like all they've been is incredible stewards to the game. And that's what matters in, in those circles is, you know, this person is, you know, Seth Wickersham wrote a little bit about this in his book, where there's a kind of a new money versus old money divide in, in the NFL. And I think that being a good steward of the game is more important than having 10 billion, having 20 billion, having, you know, 50 solid investments in a row. Like no one really cares about you in the NFL unless you're doing one of two things. Either you're winning or you're doing something for the league that's making the league money. That's that's really that's really what it is. Um, and that's why, you know, someone like Jerry Jones is so respected in the league because he figures out ways for the league to make money. Um, and I, I think that even if the Cowboys went two and fifteen every year, he would still be a huge voice in the league. And I think that that's what's interesting. I think these guys buy in and they think it's going to be like everything else. And it's like, no, dude, there's a pecking order within NFL ownership. And it's really hard to get to the top of the heap. Yeah, there's no shortcuts. It's yeah, it's uh, um, yeah. You, can't buy, you can't buy your way to the top of that room. The, when, the, the, when they do those the owners only meetings, you cannot buy your way into being respected in that room. Speaking of Tepper, you think uh, like what's your read on rule? That that was just a strange hire to begin with. <laughs> it seemed like I've never really wrapped my head around that one. And Tepper seems like a guy that's kind of, you know, he's trying to yeah. he's he's trying to get to the front of the pack, right? He's trying to make a splash and all that. And they're they seem to be in a tough spot there in Carolina. I what's weird is when I talk to college people, they really do say that his that rules recruiting analytics and his approach to things, his approach to team building was really quite revolutionary. Uh-huh. And um, he hit on a lot of guys. He understood how to, how to, how to build. And I think that that to me surprised me hearing that because he showed none of that in the NFL. No, right? he showed no ability to think, think forwardly. He wants to run the ball. 
what did he say? Both him and Urban Meyer had completely insane quotes about running the ball in 2021. The Urban, Urban quote about 250, 200 yards. Yeah. 200, yeah. Yeah. Oh. It was like, was it like 11 teams in history have done that? Like yeah. in a game, let alone average that? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, um, that was that was like the that was like the the piece de resistance last year when when it was right. like, oh yeah, like there's no there's like that that one percent sliver of a shot that like Urban might you know be the blind squirrel that finds the nut. No, there's no chance that's happening here. So I think that there's um, with, with with rule. I just I don't know what happened to him. Like he maybe may got maybe got there and just didn't want to push the envelope. I mean, say what you will about Chip Kelly, but when Chip Kelly came to the Eagles. And I think that he didn't innovate enough once he got to the NFL and that's a separate mm-hmm. thing. But once he got to the Eagles, he was unapologetically himself. He brought in his own guys. He did his stuff you know, his own way. Practices were totally different. Um, they ran the Oregon stuff and they pushed the envelope that way. And they did the things that, that, that he did in college and it changed the game, frankly. And everybody started ripping him off in, in different ways. Matt Rule, either everybody at the college game is wrong about what he was doing in Baylor or he's just become a different guy and doesn't want to push the envelope. I think it takes a lot of confidence. I actually talked to Lincoln Riley about this a couple of years ago because he, he, we, we talked about how this, the NFL looks like a big 12 game now, right? This is, you noticed that after the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl, And he said, like, do you know how much confidence it takes to get to the NFL, the freaking NFL, the pinnacle of, of football and say like, you guys are all wrong, you yeah. know, like that's hard. And it seems like rule has no interest in, in doing any of that stuff. And just going to do what everybody else has. And I'm, 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 I have not been impressed so far. Uh, are you buying or selling on the Colts? I'm buying. I'm buying. I think they're going to win the division. Okay. That's my guess. I like, I'm, I don't, a, I don't, I'm a right guy. I like right. I love, I, I adore, I worship Chris Ballard. I think the guy's a genius. Um, well, ba- Ballard's another guy who values athleticism quite a bit. And so, yeah. like, they, these guys get it. I, I saw a thing the other day that they might have had the most athletic draft class of all time. Um, so, no, I'm, 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 buying, I'm buying them as division champs, but I don't think they're going to be in the AFC uh, championship kind of mix. I think they're, they're division title, and that's it. Okay. Uh, buying or selling on the, on, the, on the Chargers this year? Yeah, buying. Extremely buying. My only concern is the AFC West is going to be such a nightmare, such a nightmare because I don't think the Broncos are all that good, but they have Russell Wilson and they've got a lot of talent there and they can beat you twice. And then what happens in the division? Do you make the playoffs then because of that? Like the, the, the freaking Raiders who are okay at Devonte Adams. Like it's, it's like the group of death in soccer, right? Like that, that, that to me is the most concerning thing is I'd rather you know, I, I'd rather be the Bills right now and be a really good team in a division where you know you're going to beat some people. I don't. There are no. There are no automatic wins on an AFC West team schedule within the conference, and that's insane. It's like the SEC West. The uh, do you think uh, McDaniel's is going to be a, a hell of a lot more, uh, you know, prepared or or just you know, are you buying or selling on on McDaniel's 2.0 in in Oakland? So the first thing McDaniels did in Denver was immediately alienate his quarterback by trying to trick <laughs> Matt Castle, which by the way, by the way, like really Matt Castle's the guy you're, you're going to throw your, yeah. your uh, franchise away for. And then anyway, goes all in on what um, Kyle, Kyle Orton. I think after that. 
and then and Kyle and Orton and then, and, then, and then Tebow. Yeah. Yeah. That was outrageous. Yeah. So what a time. Um, what did he do this time? He helped his quarterback. Yeah. And he got Devontae Adams, who's, who's again, Derek Carr's best friend, right? Um, that's what Devontae Adams wanted to be. It's the guy Derek, Derek Carr wanted. Um, so I don't, I think that that's a good positive step. I don't think that there are a ton of, uh, like, I think there's a ton of obstacles. Number one is Carr is the fourth best quarterback in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, the talent there didn't hugely impress me. They, they don't, listen, they, they had three first round picks three years ago, and they declined the fifth year option on all of them. Like, that's what you need to know about the Mayock Gruden era oh. is that, you know, maybe Mayock was the fall guy for some of this stuff, but like, they, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think that there's – I think it's going to be a longer-term build than we think. I think we're looking at, hey, Derek Carr, hey, Devontae Adams. Like, they can beat you. I mean, they almost beat – you know, every time they play the Chiefs, they almost beat them. Um, but I don't. I think it's going to be a long road for them to actually win the division. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's it was, it's crazy looking back and, like, I still can't wrap my head around the Clellan Farrell pick. Like, I can get down with Josh Jacobs or – Jonathan Abram, like, you know, kind of see that a little, it's not, not like good positional value or anything like that, but they fell in love with the tape, but like Clell and Farrell, I can't figure that one out any which way. It was just so far out of left field. It was all character. I mean, they, they wanted, I mean, listen, remember, this is the guy who pounded the table for Johnny Menzel every yeah. pick for 20 picks. Um, so I think that part of it is that Dabo, Dabo was really good at developing high character guys who ended up playing really good college ball. And I think that there are certain franchises that absolutely fell in love with the Clemson way. And then they started to realize that maybe that wasn't the best fit for, for the NFL level. Um, they, they just weren't, they just weren't as good in the NFL. And so that took a little bit. And I think that the Gruden Mayock guys were one of those people. I mean, it, it looked like, they just looked at the college football playoff for a couple of years and said, let's get the best player on the field every, every game. Um, which isn't a bad strategy. I mean, like the Bengals are famous for picking, you know, good players from huge schools who played in big games. That's what Mike Brown does. He wants to pick yeah. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and a bunch of USC linebackers and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, Eli Apple, right? That's probably why Eli Apple keeps yeah. getting signed. Jackson Hill's a perfect um, fit there for them, like on that front. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so that's what they do. And I just think that the the – May afternoon just pick the wrong guys. Got all right. So Randy has this. I don't know if it's a bit or if he's actually being serious. He thinks that he thinks that Justin Herbert is wildly overrated. He's he's thinking, he's like, dude, Herbert, like, I'm not sold. I'm not seeing it. Da 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 da. You know, is that just patently absurd? Like, is Herbert it's not okay, it's not patently absurd. Okay. Let's 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 back up here. So I'm on a podcast with a handful of people, uh, Ben Solak and Stephen Ruiz, who are will not shut up about Justin Herbert. Yeah. Okay, they will just not shut up. It's like it's like me about throws. Shanahan. You know, it's like I, I never yeah. shut up about Shanahan. It's it's they and I give them, I text them any anti-Justin Herbert thing I can find. I mm-hmm. love doing that. Um, but they their their viewpoint is that he does not miss a throw. There are no bad throws for Justin Herbert, and so I think I worry. If he doesn't start winning at some point, that's going to become a little bit obnoxious in the media. It's just how much people talk about Justin Herbert and say he's the next great one or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's got to win pretty soon. 
or else the media narrative is going to become detached. And I would also, from, from what he's actually doing, I think Justin Herbert is great. I think he's probably going to, um, you know, win an MVP at some point. But they have a pretty stacked team this year, you know, yeah. and they, 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 they did exactly what you wanted to do last year with building the offensive line with, Matt, with uh, Corey Lindsay and Matt Filer last year. Um, obviously, Zion uh, Johnson this year, the receivers this year. They do have some needs uh, still to go, but they should be in the mix for, for a Super Bowl this year. And I kind of think that that's, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they couldn't tie the Raiders last year to me was a, a pretty big red flag. And so yeah. I, I, I really, I, I'm of two minds here. Number one is I think Justin Herbert is great. Not as great as my, my podcast co-hosts think. But then the other thing is, is like, show me, show me something. Show me the yeah. results. Show, yeah. show me the results of the greatness. Do you think Staley's the right coach there? I guess. I mean, I worry about the offensive coordinator stuff. You know, everybody, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, think, I think part of the problem, and, you know, I used to say that offensive coordinators were super duper overrated as head coaches take mm-hmm. that, you know, so Bill Walsh has this old line about how he would always take an offensive head coach because offensive coaches set the agenda and defensive coaches react to the agenda. And that, that you're thinking more forward if you're an offensive coach, which I think it's an interesting point. I was, that, I, I, I get that. So for years I was like, you know, teams are going overboard on offensive coaches. They need to flip back into defensive coaches. Look at Mike Tomlin, look at B. Carroll, look at Bill Belichick, those defensive coaches. And my, my colleague um, uh, on, on the pod at the time, Robert Mays, used to make this point that I actually dismissed it first when I've now come, I've now come around to. Um, and I, I did when we were doing the pod, which was that if you have a good offensive coordinator, he's going to be hired away immediately. Yeah. And you're going to have to find the next offensive coordinator, right? So you actually need to be Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, you need that or else you're just going to be doing an open uh, rotating door of offensive coordinators. And I actually think it's a problem that Joe Lombardi is in year two with the Chargers, because in theory, if you have Justin Herbert, shouldn't you be, shouldn't, shouldn't Justin Herbert be getting an OC hired every single year? That should be the best job interview you could possibly have. Yeah. Remember when Brett Favre, like, like, you know, Andy, all these guys, the receivers coach would become an offensive coordinator and become a head coach. Mm-hmm. Like Brett Favre, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, all of these guys, <laughs> all of these guys make a lot of money for their assistant coaches. I'm not saying the jury's in. I'm just saying that, like, people don't like Joe Lombardi's schemes. And I don't think that, uh, and I think that long term, if they got a good OC, he'd be gone after a year. So, like, defensive head coaches in general to me, for a, for a young quarterback like that, I have a healthy degree of skepticism. But on the other hand, like Staley seems really smart. Um, seems, you know, everything seems well thought out. So I'm not, I'm not uh, writing him off or anything. I'm just saying structurally, uh, I do have, you know, 5% doubts. I was going to say, it's kind of an uphill battle for, for a defensive coach. And it seems like they've done all the right stuff as far as free agency goes too, like building, building the defensive lineup and, and you know, at least trying to stop the run this year versus last year. Oh, I thought I heard my name one more time, so I wanted to jump in. Thank one last sponsor today, and that is Whoop. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach and official fitness wearable of the PGA and LPGA tours. 
Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop. And their all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device features a new smart alarm designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with the Whoop body sensor enhanced technical garments. It's boxers, shorts, compression tops, bralettes, leggings, and more. Just remove the band from the device, slide it into the garment of your choice, and you're discreetly tracking your daily activity with Whoop. So right now, listeners, they have a great offer. The all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. On top of that, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use code NLU15 at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, enter NLU15 at checkout to save 15%. Thank them for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now back to the episode. Buying or selling Mike yeah. McDaniel in, in Miami. So I saw Mike McDaniel at the Combine. And I asked him if he was going to the F1 race because he was involved in that conversation I was referencing earlier. Yeah with the dolphin employee and he started doing this bit that I didn't understand and still don't understand. It was so hard to parse. It was almost like Mike McDaniel is a podcaster. He's a podcaster who's gotten an NFL job where he was like, like he was like, I'm, he's like, I'm going to be working. And I was like, well, it was like, it's like may it's after the draft. I'm be okay. And he's like, well, you have to give me a ride. And I was like, what, what? And he's like, yeah, you have to give me a ride from the facility there. And I was just like, he was just like, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to screw with anybody. He was just like being super, that's just like his mode is just like, super, well, by the way, we had met 20 seconds earlier, right? Like uh-huh. that, that, he was immediately into bit mode and just telling all these jokes. And I've never been around a coach like him at all, at all. It is so, I don't, I, we're, I mean, he is weird, but like, I don't, I, I, I don't know if this is, I have no clue if this is going to work because I have no clue what, how that translates. Like, does he ever, does he give weird ass speeches in the locker room? Like a great example is Mike Leach, right? So Michael Lewis wrote this great piece about Mike Leach when he was at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And he said that Mike Leach was giving a halftime speech at, during a game that Michael Lewis was there for. And he started talking about pirates oh, and he, he, uh, and then the team was like, all right, this must be going someplace. And then it turned out he just really kind of wanted to talk about pirates. He was in pirate mode. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. just in pirate mode and just like had nothing. There was no lesson. Maybe they started out like he was going to bring it home for a lesson and it just didn't. And he just gave them a little bit of a history lesson on pirates. And then they went out and they played the second half. Right. Like that to me is probably the most analogous thing yeah. where it's like, is he going to get up there and just start going doing bit mode, or is he going to say, you know what, that's not really my skill set, um, or is he going to get, is he going to change his personality, or is he going to say, you know what, actually, the team captains, it's your locker room. Like a lot of guys, a lot of coaches who are not typical kind of Mike Tomlin esque leaders of men, a lot of coaches know what they don't know, actually quite in good are quite good at empowering the locker room, mm-hmm. and so. 
I don't think that having a different personality pr- precludes you from being a great head coach. Um, I just think you need to adjust when that happens. And I, I think he's smart enough to, to understand the nuances of being a head coach. I, th- I think he'll be fine. I can't wait to see what he does offensively. Like I, I think, you know, personnel wise, we'll see. It'll probably take a, take a, you know, a healthy 12 to 18 months to kind of get the right personnel in there. It seems like they've done some good things with the offensive line, but, uh, but yeah, I can't wait to see kind of just how you, you want to talk about innovation and thinking about out, like outside the box and scheme wise. I can't wait to see that. Um, Couple more, and I'll get you out of here. Uh, Saints, Saints, buy, buy, buy or sell on the Saints. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy them as a playoff team because they're seven seeds. I'm gonna sell them as a, a team that can win a playoff game. I just think that their roster is quite good, but you, you gotta have. Like Daniel Jeremiah says this, right? You need a quarterback who can, who's pulling, right? You pull it, pulling you somewhere, like you're mm-hmm. pulling the bus. Um, and they don't have that right now. They have a passenger. They have a passenger right now and, or in some cases who can hurt things. And so if they were able to get in the mix for a top quarterback, they should have done that. They didn't. Um, so I think they're just rolling it over and trying to get a quarterback next year and, and just, and just see where they're at. I think they'll be pretty good because the roster is good. Um, but that's, that's the extent of it. At some point, are they going to have to pay the Piper like on all the salary cap stuff? <laughs> like, I don't it, think so. It seems like they should have been in salary cap hell like four years ago and they just, it's like they just keep – they have this get-out-of-jail-free card. And it's like, you know, I, especially as a Falcons fan, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, we've got – like, we're, we're in the worst possible spot right now. We should have we should have cut bait, you know, a year or two earlier. We had – so we had uh, Nick Underhill covers the Saints on last year because I wanted to understand this. And he, he said the Saints do, quote, mafia accounting, which I thought is the perfect phrase for it. I think that their willingness to pay cash – and pay and take take hits and stuff. They they're able to restructure and get away with stuff. I don't think they have to pay the piper. I don't think that you know the salary cap is a method of accounting, and it is real. It is real. Everyone says it's yeah. not real. It is it is real. But if you want, there's penalties you can pay to to get to make it fake. If that makes sense. It and seems like you have to, to be consistent. It, it seems like you have to be consistent yes. year over year after year. Like you can't you can't change strategies or or kind of your theme you can't change those every two or three years because that's when you you know those 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 systems or those strategies are are vehemently opposed to one another and that's when you got to pay the piper right yes yes or yeah right or the thing you know um the bills had to take the biggest dead cap charge in the history of the league when the and then the dolphins did too the following year um when they tried to clear the deck for the Josh Allen rebuild. And the, and, the, and the first year Josh Allen played, they didn't want him to play because they took the dead cap charge. So if you're going to change strategies, like if the Saints got a new GM tomorrow and was like, we're not doing this tomorrow, it might take two years mm-hmm. for them to clear the decks and get out of the cycle that they're in, but they seem pretty comfortable with what they're doing. Yeah, that's where I was shocked. I mean, I was shocked to see the Falcons extend Grady Jarrett. I thought for sure they were going to, they were going to offload him. Well, hey, else, wait, where, where did, where did Terry Fontenot come from? Came exactly. From exactly. <laughs> he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, I think he, he even was like, holy shit, this situation's bad. <laughs> like we've always had a point. We have, we had a much better roster in new Orleans when, when yeah. we were in this situation. It's tough to rebuild otherwise. Yep. Um, let's see here. And then, yeah, I, I guess last one, uh, who do you see between the giants jets the power rank as far as the um, kind of viability or back to winning 
Giants, Jets, Texans, Lions. Which oh god, in, okay. In order of of you know, uh, winning first versus not you know versus winning last. Okay, winning first, Giants. Okay. Uh, only Steven Ruiz has convinced me that Daniel Jones can be okay, and and I, I actually I might agree with him. So I winning first. Winning, I'm putting in huge quotation marks. Yeah. I just mean who's going to be best in 2022. The answer is the Giants. Okay. Do they do they hang on to Kadarius Tony or do they trade Kadarius Tony? I, I don't like- know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, that, that is a mess, dude. That is a mess. Right? Like Dave Gettleman talked about high character guys and guys who want to be there for a long time and whatever. And it seems to me that the Giants are already frustrated with Kadarius Tony in the offseason. He's already gotten on a plane and he's, he's at workouts now. Um, Separately, much separate is you know they had they drafted DeAndre Baker in the first round to get a yeah. uh, picked up a, a, a robbery charge and and ended up getting cut. Like I don't know, Dave Gettleman was one. Of, however bad you think Dave Gettleman was, he was way worse. If you just actually look at every single pick. Having said that, I think Joe Shane and and Brian Dable really smart guys. I think they'll they'll win. I don't know. I think they'll be better than those. Those are the three teams. So they'll be okay. mediocre this year, and then they can clear the decks to find a quarterback. That was I, like, I was term. I was shocked too to see them take take uh, Kayvon Thibodeau as well because it's he, he doesn't seem like a bad guy, but he just seems like an interesting guy, right? Maybe you know not a. No, not I a, like him. Not a sure thing personality in the locker room, or you know, I saw that Strahan was his mentor. And yeah, I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Oh man. Um. I, I, but I think Thibodeau and Evan Neal are, are win now kind of guys. Yeah, yeah for sure. Already. So yeah. I, I, I'm okay with it. I think that long term, the Texans, the Texans and the Lions are interesting to me because they both got blue chip guys. Mm-hmm. The rebuild in both situations. Mina said this a couple of weeks ago in her pod, and I was on it, and I think about it a lot. The Texans rebuild is very self aware. They know. They've got nothing. They're going very slowly. They're not trying to do anything they can't, they're not capable of. So I think that's an important thing um, is to know, hey, we're not going to try to win in 2022. So then it comes down between the Lions and and the Texans. Both of those guys picked up what I think are game-changing talents this year. It comes down to what happens. How does the C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young Thing, uh, thing go next year. And is Will Anderson so much better than everybody else that he's in the mix for a quarterback, for a quarterback uh, needy team? You know, I, mean, I don't know. The top three next year is really, really, really fascinating. Jalen Carter from, from Georgia is also in that mix, right? Where, you know, is Jacksonville bad again next year to where either they're going to trade out or, you know, take, take Will Anderson first overall, right? Like, I don't know. I, there are four, maybe even more, really good players next year's draft. I think the tiebreaker for me between the Lions and the Texans is who gets that that elite talent next year. And then Jets. So the Jets are last for you? Yeah. I, there's something wrong with that franchise, man. Like, they just can't get good. And I, I have all the respect in the world for Joe Douglas. Um, you know, people who are really smart in Philly and in Baltimore where he worked. They say that Joe Douglas like knows football better than anybody. 
Joe Douglas has fleeced a handful of teams on trades. I mean, look at the Seattle situation. Look what they have multiple first round picks. I get that Jermaine Johnson was a value. I'm not a huge fan of, of his game, um, but it is what it is. Garrett Wilson, I thought, was, was a pretty good pick. I just look at this roster and I just don't see a lot of talent. And the difference between the Jets and the Jets and, and then the, the Texans and Lions is that they've already committed to Zach Wilson. They're in on Zach Wilson. We know what this looks like. And I don't think – I don't think – and by the way, I, I'd rather be the Jets than the Giants. I want to back up on this. The only reason I said the Giants is because the Giants are, are going to win more games than those other three teams in, in, in 2022. But I don't I, – I think that the, the rebuild and taking a quarterback in 2021 just changes the calculus a little bit. And I don't know. I mean, like, there's already weird Mikai Becton. I, we, we don't know really what's going on with him. There actually might be some um, family issues that, that certainly would be explainable and, and totally fine, totally normal. Um, or, you know, but then they're sort of conflicting reports about that. Um, I just don't know. I just don't know the timeline that they're on. I guess that's the question. I, I think I'm, I'm more confused about the timeline. I feel like the Giants are going to be okay this year and they're going to clear the decks next year, almost kind of like what, um, like what the Bills did, right? Whereas the Jets, they already cleared the decks. This is them building, and I just don't know what track they're on. Do you think, all right, is it in the realm of possibility that if, if Zach Wilson stinks out loud this year with more tools, like they, they have you know good wide receiver core, better offensive line, uh, you know, the uh, God, Brees Hall looks like his highlight reel is just sick. Like it seems polished yeah. as hell. Uh, like, is it plausible that they would? almost admit their own mistake. And, and if they're in the top three drafts, another quarterback in 2023. So, yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to be careful here because my colleague, Stephen Ruiz um, said, so every franchise, you guys probably don't have to deal with this a lot in golf. Yeah. When a franchise has a young quarterback and it's you like, say anything, like bad, <laughs> dude, yeah. and you say anything bad about that quarterback, Everything. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter what franchise it is. Like, Dave, if I just went at Davis Mills right now, the Texan fans would be like, "Oh, cool. Like, yeah. maybe yeah. watch some tape, bro. Maybe yeah. watch some tape of Davis Mills." It doesn't matter. I've been doing this for uh, almost ten years, and every single time, it's it's the same. It's some of the worst quarterbacks you've ever seen in your life have had rabid defenders in in year two. Okay. So and I'm not saying Zach Wilson is that. I'm just saying that that's 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 what happens when you have the Zach Wilson discussion. And and his mom's yeah. at the top of the list, right? His mom's <laughs> at the top of the list. But want her so coming what, after me. Yeah. What I'll say what I'll say about Wilson is so Ruiz said that he was never going to be as good as Jameis Winston, and boy, boy, was that a was that a uh, a week on on the internet for all of us at the Ringer NFL show. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's every I think teams are comfortable now. You don't have to take a huge dead cap charge off of off a rookie mm-hmm. quarterback. He's, he's second overall. If he stinks and CJ Stroud is available, uh, Bryce Young. I mean, I saw Tyler Van Dyke from Miami was mocked seven and Dan Brugler's new thing. The kid from Kentucky is in the yeah. mix there. I think you're looking at that. I would say that I'd be careful. If this, I, I do believe there's, I'm a Miami homer, but I yeah. do believe there's a huge drop off after Stroud and Young. 
So I'd be careful reaching for a quarterback if you already have Zach Wilson. But if, if there's a no-brainer, I don't even think he has to stink that badly. He just has to show – unless he shows he's on a superstar track, if you yeah. can get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, they look to me like they're on a superstar track. So go ahead. And it seems like it's something, too, that like it wouldn't be – all that damning for Joe Doug. Like it's not, it's not tenure ending for him where it's like, Hey, you've improved right. the quality of the roster. You've done, you've done the right stuff here. You just didn't hit on one decision. Right. And you get another shot at right. it. Like, I think he's bought himself enough time there. Um, all right. And then uh, just a, a, a Miami question for you. I saw, I saw the, I saw the news last week about the, uh, uh, the basketball player. Uh, Isaiah Wong, the NIL stuff. That was like one of the yeah. more outrageous quotes and press releases when he's like, Hey, you know what? I appreciate everything that is it life wallet. Is that the guy? Life wallet. Yeah. yeah. Life like, wallet treated me very well. Mentions, mentions life wallet before he even mentions the you. Uh, yeah. It just, I mean, that's just insane. But I mean, it, it seems like the wild west down there as far as the NIL stuff. Like it's, 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 it's truly, it's truly innovation. It's very golf, isn't it? Yeah, just yeah. shouting out your sponsors yeah. before before talking about anything else. Um, team 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 Isaiah Wong. Um, so that was strange. I didn't anticipate that. Um, Isaiah Wong was a pretty good player for, for us last year. So John Ruiz is the is the uh, billionaire funding all this. Yeah. Having said that, I think that one thing that gets lost is like this is not. There are more NI opportunities in Miami than just Life Wallet. It's just that John Ruiz signed everybody up and can't stop tweeting about it. And it's putting dollar <laughs> figures behind it. So this all started when this kid, Nigel Pack committed from Kansas state and he got 400,000 a year over two years and a car. I don't know what kind of car that has been reported, but a car. And uh, so that set the market rate. And I did a couple NIL. I did an NIL column last week, actually. And what was interesting to me is like, this sort of stuff was always happening, but now the people who are doing it are tweeting out basically the market rate for a good big 12 player, right? And that's what's changing for, for me. I think I, I, I'm actually, I actually think the amount of things we'll, we'll see change or overrated. I think a lot of times the thing that we're saying about NIL are actually transfer portal problems, masquerading as NIL problems. And like, even if this kid Jordan Addison is transferring from Pitt, a football player, he's probably going to end up at USC, it sounds like, right? Well, if you can, go play for a better team or a team that can get you more pro ready or whatever. Like, I, I still think we would have seen that even without NIL, but that, that would eventually happen. This kid, Jared Verse transferred from Albany to Florida state um, as an example. He's one of the best division one double a players in the country. And he wants to improve his draft stock, go play in the ACC, right? Yeah. Jermaine Johnson transferred from Georgia, same deal. So, cause he couldn't play. So I think that the issue you're getting into is I think this is making everything more honest. But if you're Isaiah Wong and you were a good player on an Elite Eight team last year and you're not getting $400,000, hey, you're saying, me? what the hell is this? Yeah. And, and there are no contracts. And so it, I, I think every place is the Wild West. Like USC sounds like it's the Wild yeah. West right now. Texas um, A&M. I mean, they're, you know, especially with the price I mean, of oil right now. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that uh, $8 million to the kid. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't, here's the thing. Everybody keeps saying, who the $8 million quarterback is an $8 million school, but no, no one's ever like confirmed it. The kid has not said it mm-hmm. like the school has not said it. And so like we, I, I initially wrote his name in the column last week 
And I decided like, until someone actually says it, like, let's just back up here anyway. But it is an SEC East school who wears orange, apparently. Um, but but you have, you, you get, you, we're in these situations now where, um, you know, everybody's going to improve their lot in the same way coaches were for the past 50 years, right? Coaches wanted to raise every single time they, they won a conference game over the past, you just get Jimmy Sexton involved and all of a sudden you're getting an extra 500K. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they're going to have to do something. Like, I don't know how you regulate this. Um, I think being able to, to transfer at any point is good. And I think that being able to be paid for your work is good. So I don't know how you necessarily, um, I don't know how you, how, you, how you regulate this. And I think that, and this is something I said in the column, I think that if you show me a bad NIL team, it's, it's probably just a bad team. And yeah. if you show me a team that can't compete in this era, it was a team that was never going to compete in modern college football because you needed the facilities, you needed the coaching staff. I, I don't think there's going to be a team that comes out of nowhere and is good in the NIL era that wasn't good in the previous era and so in the last 25 years because the the boosters that can fund nil were already the boosters who are funding facilities and coaching staffs and all that before that and doing stuff under the table too already like yes. now we're just, oh, now we're just yes. bringing it out in the open it's you know? the same people <laughs> I, I have a friend i have a friend who i am i'm obviously not going to say the name um of the school but uh it's it's not a florida it's not a florida school and they were like, you know, there's this guy who's now signing up all of the school's kids and they're getting, you know, all sorts of packages or whatever. And he's like, this was our guy who was paying kids a decade ago. Yeah. And now he gets to like take photos with him and put it on Twitter and be like, hey, yeah. man, we signed you up. Here's your hope you like your, you know, your $50,000 in a new car. Like it's the same dude. They just get to tweet about it now. Yeah, it's crazy. It's It's just like pulling the pulling the curtain off and it's the same shit going on. Now it's just like, Hey, send a tweet out about us now too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, is Cristobal the guy down there? Is he the right guy? Yeah. I mean, it, it has, it has to be. It has to be. And like, so, so, so they've, they've levered, they've spent a lot of money on it. The way I always thought about Miami was there are two ways to win at Miami. There's the, uh, so Jimmy Johnson was like the best evaluator of talent ever, ever, ever. And that's why we saw it at, yeah, we saw that in Dallas. We certainly saw it in Miami. Bush Davis is also an amazing evaluator. So you could either get an amazing recruiter or you can get a great evaluator. Like the story I always tell is we took seven kids from Miami Northwestern High School in yeah. 2008. Ja'Cory Harris was the yeah. quarterback of that team. Um, Tommy Streeter, Marcus Forson, all those guys, right? So we took seven kids. The eighth best player on the team was Levante David. We didn't take him. <laughs> and he uh, committed to Middle Tennessee State, then didn't like it, and went to JUCO, and ended up in Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, where was our guy who was like, hmm, we're taking seven kids. I actually think Levante David might be pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ed Reed famously was a, was a two-star in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. All of these guys, there's so many guys in South Florida who were two or three stars who ended up being – T.Y. Hilton, amazing example. That yeah. 08 class, we didn't take T.Y. Hilton. Um, we took Theron Collier and all these other guys. Um, we didn't take T.Y. Hilton. And so the way to do it is either sign up the best talent across America, including Florida, and have an amazing recruiter, which is what Crystal Ball is, or an amazing talent, talent evaluator who can go into uh, a high school in Weston or Coral Springs or Booker to Washington and say, like, actually, this guy's going to the NFL, even though he's a three-star. So you can go either way, 
and they went with the recruiter way. And I think Cristobal is going to build this thing. And, you know, Bruce Feldman has said this, I think about it a lot, where he, Cristobal told him he'd see Miami coaches in an airport and he would laugh because he's saying, what are you doing getting on an airplane? You, uh, uh, the best talent in the world is a drive away. Like, why are you at the Atlanta airport? Like, what, what exactly are you doing right now? Um, and so I think, I think he knows what that, that, what that school is capable of in the recruiting base and, and why, uh, and that's why he took the job. Like, I hope so. Cause college football is better when, when Miami's I, good. I, I agree. Yeah. So, all right. Well, awesome stuff. I, uh, I feel like, like I wanted to, you know, go listen to the Ringer NFL show. I know you guys have done a ton of, ton of uh, draft recap stuff. I didn't want to get too, too deep into particular prospects because people can go, go listen to your yeah. takes on that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, just more kind of high level, uh, you know, macro stuff on the NFL here. So this has been great. I'm gonna have to, uh, have to get you and Randy on sometime together to talk about the the merits of oh, Justin Herbert. We got, we got to golf. We got it. We got to get to Jack's Beach. Oh hell yeah, man! Doors open. Doors open. So uh, I, I played Jack's Beach uh, last year. It was a great course. So you were in St. Augustine for just just during during COVID, like during uh, yeah. You just came down. My, my, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just came down. Got this condo there. Um, yeah, just was there from September until February. Just didn't see anybody. Played a ton of golf. It was great. Did you ever eat at Llama, the uh, Peruvian restaurant right across the bridge, kind of by Mellow Mushroom? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Should I have? Next time you're down there, yeah, Llama, St. Augustine. It's like the, right. my fav- favorite restaurant in Northeast Florida. So Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a husband and wife couple. The wife's from uh, Poland. The husband's from Peru. They met They met working at a hotel in Chicago. Wonderful people and like some of the best ceviche and Lomo Soltado and everything. It's awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So awesome. Well, well awesome. Well, hey, enjoy the enjoy the week down there. It, I can't wait to to read you know, read and hear about all the, all the nonsense, all the festivities, all the, all the, all the bright lights, all the stars and, and taking, taking up close picture of the, uh, of the little Marina, you know, all the, <laughs> the little, the little fake yacht base in there for me too. So. I, I wouldn't miss it for the world. We <laughs> get it about two hours. It sounds good. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, John. Favorite trapper, the absolute.